0: Welcome to the Sports & Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the Jay Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back, and thank you for listening to this most current episode of Sports & Torts. You know, I've got to remind you to go back and look at past episodes over at www.sportstores.com. And don't forget to check out my law firm website, jsteinlawfirm.com. We have a first on the podcast today. We have a special guest. We've had professional athletes before, but never have we had those individuals who represent them. We have a sports agent with us today, uh, my friend Duncan Lloyd. He is a former trial attorney. He's reminded me he's a recovering trial attorney. Uh, and He now manages client recruitment and business development for Overtime, a sports agency that represents elite basketball players in the NBA and abroad. Duncan's based in Philadelphia, um, so we're doing this virtually. We're working through that stuff. Um, He's better at this than I am, but we're learning. So we're having a good time. I'm really excited about this. Duncan, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for being here.
0: Josh, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. I've uh, been looking forward to it, and I uh, look forward to unpacking some interesting topics here today.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, when they ask me like, hey, what do you want to be when you want to grow up? I, I've got the three standard stuff with sports. I either want to play sports, I wanted to work as a broadcaster calling sports, or I wanted to be a sports agent. I'm none of those three. You have this podcast, which helps me kind of do a little bit of it, but you, my friend, are one of those three. So you're living out one of my dream jobs. How'd you, how'd you get there?
0: So I, um, I played growing up, and um, I was okay. I wasn't great, but I was okay. And some of the friends that I had playing growing up ended up playing Division I, A couple of guys playing overseas, so on and so forth. So when I went to law school here in Philadelphia, slowly guys would just kind of call and text, or if I'd go to a practice or a workout, because I was always kind of around just being a basketball junkie, because that's who I am. Um, they just asked me about you know, their contract or what they should be thinking about. And, you know, obviously I had no idea, you know, what, how, you know, what to look for, what was important, what wasn't important, the levels of leagues. Um, but something in that process when I was 22, 23 years old really triggered inside me the desire to really, uh, help and sometimes be a sword and sometimes be a shield for young men who are very talented. Um, but, um, with a legal background, I had a little bit of a different skill set that might be able to help them, you know, reach the highest levels of their potential um, athletically. So um, I've been doing this in some capacity for 15 years now. Um, the, the thing that's funny, you say, what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, I didn't go to graduate school for this. I didn't take any special courses in college or law school to help prepare me for this. But um, my sister does exactly this same kind of work but for book authors. So we are convinced that there's just like something in us um, genetically. Um, there's that a wants genetic to, code in the world. In the exactly. Name. That wants to help people represent people and and really advocate for them and push their careers along. So that, that's kind of my background.
1: Cool. And, and so you exclusively represent basketball players and you mentioned basketball. Was that the sport that you're most into?
0: Yeah. For whatever reason, I was always just really drawn into like the culture, right? Like, you know, I'm Uh, I I grew up in, you know, basically, you know, suburban Philadelphia, it still was the city limits. But in that way, um, I was just always attracted to growing up, I guess it would have been like the dream team and MJ. And then when I was about 13, 14, um, Iverson came on the scene here in Philly. And like that for me, like he like walked on water in terms of like, not only was he the best on the court, he was like the coolest guy off the court with everything else. So um, the, the, he was background. also the
1: best, he was the best in the interview room too.
0: Oh, he was incredible. So for me, I was just always kind of drawn. I mean, as I said, I played and I was okay. I mean, I'm, I'm five foot 10. I'm not that good, but, um, I was always drawn to the game and I was drawn to the competition and I was just drawn to the culture. So it, it was one of those things that if I could have gotten away from it, if I could have gotten into another field and just practiced, whatever, you know, corporate law in front of a desk, I would have gone that route. But this is something in me that I've never been able to shake. Um, and it's my life's passion. I love it. So you hear a lot about you know, having a niche
1: and having like a, a very focused area. Is that the same thing in, in, in your world? Like focusing on one sport, one type of player, as opposed to, hey, basketball, football, baseball, whatever. I mean, is, is that what you found to be true?
0: It depends on the agency. Different agencies um, are set up differently. Some agencies do baseball, football, basketball, the whole thing. Um, for me, um, what's really important is recruiting really specific kinds of players who are also really specific kinds of young men from a work ethic standpoint, an accountability standpoint, a family background standpoint. Um, so because I really focus in and you know have a really select group of guys that I want to work with and represent, to me it's not fair to them if I'm also, you know, representing baseball players and representing football players and instead having kind of a mile wide but an inch deep approach. I would much rather know their games inside now, you know, have a really strategic and focused plan for their career and get them to the highest level that they can go to. So it's not to say if you're a young man or young woman, you shouldn't join an agency that also has a tennis branch or a uh, you know, a football branch or whatever. But I know in our shop, um, in our agency, it's incredibly important um, that we are very focused um, and, and kind of um, uh, 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 absolutely give all of our horsepower into um, just male professional basketball players and really try to get the most out of their career. Love, it makes sense. All right, let me nerd out a bit on like the agency
1: side and like the, the day where, you know, you, you leave a law firm, Come on, if you want to, like that decision but like getting an agency going joining an agency building it up recruiting you know talent recruiting clients like how, how do you do that
0: uh, it's hard it's really hard because unless your dad or uncle or mom or aunt you know was a player or was a coach or was an agent I guess, um, you know, what are your connections right? At the end of the day, this is the people business like anything else. you know, where are those relationships? Where's the trust? Where is that you know proverbial first client coming from right? So in my particular, I can only speak for myself, I created my own agency out of thin air just out of kind of like sweat and elbow grease where, the first round of recruiting that I did, I'd recruit these young men and they'd say, all right, I'm sorry, who are you? What is your agency? Have you ever done this before? And I'd say, no, I haven't. But listen, I've got this plan and I know your game really well and I'm really focused and I'm really energetic. And that failed, if you can believe this, about 99 times out of 100. But it did. I ended up signing a couple of guys early on and they ended up kind of Um, outperforming kind of what was expected of them as pros. And then you kind of go back the next year and talk about their stories to the next recruiting class. And it's like building a house. It's like, you just have to go brick by brick. And if you spend the time and watch the film and get to know coaching staffs and get to know young men and their families, you can do it. Um, But it takes time and it takes a lot of elbow grease and determination. And that's, I started my own agency. I then joined what was essentially kind of a European based agency Um, And then I've been with my partner now for, I think, four or five years, um, and he's based kind of 30 30 miles north of me here in Philadelphia. We have a nice thing going at this point.
1: Very good. So I'm going to make this analogy. It might not be a correct one, but I'm a very big college football fan, huge Georgia Bulldog fan. And so recruiting is the lifeblood of of all the programs. So you always hear about. The, the coaches going to living rooms talking to mom talking to dad at what point are you starting that process of recognizing a talent that you think has potential and somebody who fits you know kind of the mold of the, of the firm that you're running
0: well it you know it's october 4th right so the actual college basketball game I, I should say let me backtrack i don't really recruit like high school kids like my our business model is not the like 18 19 year old Young men who ultimately tend to be lottery picks and first round picks. That is a great business model. I'm not here to front on that business model, but that's not what we do. So we tend to go after the young men who have either one or no no years of eligibility left. So they're going to come out, right? They're going to play professionally. That's not like they're going to be on the fence. Um, it's October 4th. I had a really pleasant, uh, call with a recruits mom an hour before this podcast, right? So I've started in on that process in August and September. So I want to really start developing those relationships a good two or three months before the season actually starts. And then, you know, try, it's a balancing act. You don't want to pester. You don't want to nag, but like anything, you've got to show people love. You've got to show up. You've got to be yourself. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be enthusiastic. And I continued that on, throughout the course of the season and then really kind of sit down and have bigger, you know, right now, it's not really a sales pitch right now. It's more just getting to know people, you know, it's more of kind of a recruiting pitch um, there in February and March uh, after the season kind of wraps up. I mean, March, so February, give, March can, April,
1: with, with, without giving away trade secrets, like, can you give an mm-hmm. idea of what that, Quote pitch sounds like, or what you're telling, you know, telling the kids, like, hey, this is what we can do for you. This is why we're the the right place to go.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, it's it's actually pretty straightforward. It's not really some like you know, you know, Coca-Cola's secret recipe that's held under lock and key. It's like we know you pretty well. You've talked to two or three or four of our current clients and their families. You know exactly what our strategy is, whether it's the NBA draft. Whether it's the G League, whether it's going overseas, you know exactly what we want to do and how we want to do it. Here are two or three or four young men and their families, as I've said, that we've done exactly the same thing for in the last three or four or five years. And for us, we don't want to reinvent the wheel for you. We want to have the exact same success that we've had for some of these other guys for you, if not even more, because of your talent, because of your ability. You know, let's say he's a seven footer, because of your shot blocking ability, because you are the next Patrick Beverly defender, you know, from a man like everyone's kind of got their own ticket in. Uh, you know, the professional life, that's what we try to tap into, use examples of our current clients, and then go from there.
1: So basketball, I imagine, is difficult because there's only two rounds in the NBA. So that's what, like, 60, you know, 60 total draft picks, as opposed to these other professional leagues that got, you know, tons and tons of rounds. So are are, are these players asking you first, like, hey, do you think I'm going to be slotted for those positions, or do we need to look for other Professional op- opportunities.
0: Oh, I mean, it, it's like you know, it's like a, a a not funny joke. Obviously, it's like believe me, I want you to get drafted just as much as you want to get drafted. Like we will it be tied, <laughs> we will be tied into this together, my friend. Trust me, I'm not going to sandbag your your draft potential, your draft <laughs> chances here. Um, but you know, the answer is yes. And then they say, "Well, how do I get drafted?" And then I, you know, talk them through the pre-draft process. Right, you know, Portsmouth. The Chicago Combine, the G League Elite Camp, the pre-draft workout process leading up to the NBA Draft, which is always the last Thursday in June, right? How did those six, seven, eight weeks look? Not just from an NBA standpoint, but also if you're from whatever Philadelphia, Indianapolis, Atlanta, what trainers are you working out with? How are you still getting you know five on fives and in and staying sharp? Um, the answer is the clients that we saw that we recruit and sign tend to be on the quote unquote older side to think that 20 and 20, you know, 21, 22 is older, but it is. Um, for the most part, college seniors aren't even really drafted anymore. If you go through the last three or four NBA drafts, maybe five guys or less are really 21, 22, in some cases 23 years old. It really is kind of 18, 19 and 20 year old kids who are drafted. Um, so the answer is you should be honest and say the numbers are against you if for no other reason than just general age bias among NBA executives and how they allot their draft picks. But here's how we go about that. You need to get in front of as many people as possible, and you need to be John Smith 2.0 in all of these workouts. You need to be the best version of yourself playing the role you would play in the NBA in those workouts, right? There are very few 25-shot-a-game players in the NBA. You don't need to be a -a 25-shot per workout guy to show that you're an NBA player. Because if you're getting drafted in the second round, you're not going to be Zach Levine. You're not going to be Zion, right? You need to understand your role and be the best possible John Smith you can be in that role. And that's what I spend a lot of time on with the guys that we recruit inside.
1: Makes sense. And and then what is your role in preparing them? You hear about draft combines and the workouts leading up to it. I'm sure some of these kids don't know where to go, or I guess they can stay on campus. Um, if that's an option, but do you step in and say, okay, here's kind of a program we can help you with. Here's some connections we can do. Because like you said, you're, you want them to succeed just as much as they want to succeed.
0: No question. And the answer is like, I have all these ideas and options and resources and I want to do this and I want to do that. And like, for me, when it comes to, time to, you know, for those two or three months between kind of your last game as a senior or a super senior with all this COVID craziness and the actual draft. It's a very important two and a half, maybe three month window between mid-March and late June. And I've got all these ideas and I want to do all this stuff and so on and so forth. But like the most important thing to do in that moment is, in my experience, is to listen. Is to listen to your client and to listen to his family because some clients will say, hey, I'm actually three credits short. It's really important for me to get my degree. Everyone here you know, on campus is going to work me out and you know, you know, push me in the weight room, and I can get awesome five-on-five runs here. I'm good. It's like, okay, cool. And in that case, I might send an NBA ball or two or a couple pairs of sneaks or whatever just to make sure that they're um, taken care of, right? Other guys will say something like, hey, uh, my AAU coach from high school – Um, You know, he worked me out, you know, every day for three years leading up to college. He's really my guy. I'm going to go back home and train with him. And I would kind of do the same thing. I'd introduce myself to that person, maybe send a couple NBA balls up there so they get a feel for the new Wilson balls, you know, those sorts of things. And then a third category of people will say, I'm open. You know, I, I want to do anything. I don't want to go to campus. I don't want to go home. Neither of those places will be good for me. What can you do for me? And in that scenario, I have a list of 45 to 50 trainers in cities across the country that I've worked with over the years that I would highly recommend um, to any of these young men that they'd work with. And I'd get them on a Zoom call, see how they vibe, see um, other clients that maybe um, the client that I have knows and wants to work with. Um, And go from there. So I've got these ideas and I want to do this and I want to do that. But each client is different and each client has different needs in that three month window. So the first thing I've got to do is slow my roll down and just listen to them and understand their perspective.
1: I got it. Now, do you also have to work on your relationships with the executives in the league? NBA and abroad and making sure that you got those connections and they know you. So how do you go about breaking into that?
0: Absolutely. So, you know, that's our stock and trade, right? Like that's literally, you have to have strong front office connections, NBA, G League, all of the best leagues in Europe, South America, Asia, the whole bit. And, you know, it's kind of a chicken and an egg like question, right? Like, well, how do you get those phone calls answered, you know, returned if you don't have good clients, right? You're probably not going to get them returned. So, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, I probably wouldn't get those emails and texts and um, calls returned. So then you start to build your client base and some of them have some success. And then you develop you know, that relationship and you develop that trust um, and they slowly start getting returned. And you just have to really spend the time to not only um, kind of Just as you're recruiting young men and and getting to know their families, you also have to keep up the relationships with their employers on the other side. So when the time is right, when you are making player recommendations to coaches and GMs and assistant GMs, uh, they know that there's credibility behind that recommendation. You know that they're looking for this shooting guard or this power forward that has these attributes, and they know Duncan Lloyd knows his client's games inside and out. And he would not send you the profile of some seven foot center when you're looking for, you know, a score first point guard. Right. You know, you've got to take yeah. his recommendation seriously. So there's no secret to that. It just, you know, calls, texts, emails, FaceTime, Zoom calls um, with people all around the world to develop that trust um, and that kind of consistent relationship. So I
1: should know this and I don't. But in terms of like European basketball, is there a draft that they have? each year or is it what you're suggesting, which is, Hey, I've got this player that would be a good fit for this team. And so you call them and there's a free agency period. How does that work?
0: No, there's, so there's no draft. So like, think about the NBA, but like 20 times over, right? There are competitions in Europe. There are four competitions. Well, there's more than that. Let, let me simplify it. There are four main competitions in Europe where teams of other countries play each other, the Euro league, Euro cup, basketball champions league and the Europe cup kind of a confusing name. But other than those things and the VTB League and their other smaller um, you know, uh, international competitions, but for the most part, you know, the French teams play the French teams. The Spanish teams play the Spanish teams. The Belgian teams play the Belgian teams. And each of those first divisions are the NBA of that country, right? So there's not one single kind of European draft. There's not one single Spanish draft. And the thing that I've never understood, 15 years doing this, I've never understood the following thing. European teams, with few exceptions, turn over like three quarters of their roster every year. Every May, June, July, they're like, you know, recalibrating their entire roster. And it's like, why would you ever do that? Like any workplace, law practice, hospital, professional basketball team. You get better when you're just around your coworkers. You just have that continuity. You have that familiarity. You go through some reps. It's the whole, like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing. It's like, why were the Spurs so successful in San Antonio all those years? Because they brought Manu and Tony and Tim back every single year. Same coaching staff. So that, that, probably,
1: like, that, probably leads, that probably leads to some unrest with your clients, with them not knowing from year to year where they're going to be be you know, have the chance to stay. So – do you get those calls too, where you you then have to kind of reassure them? Hey, we've got a plan in place. You're good talent. We'll find a spot. I mean, what what, what side of the business?
0: You, you've, pulled the, you've pulled you've pulled the about? curtain back and just took, taken a glimpse into my June and July. No, I mean, like that's part of it. But the the, the answer is yes. There is anxiety there, and there is worrying. Am I going to get placed? Am I going to you know, find a job. But like, what I'm saying is that's, that's the life of every, you know, European based player, right? That, that That's just the norm. Some guys will sign two year deals. Some guys will go back to the same club for two and three and four years, but for the most, most part, you know, every May, June and July, guys are moving from a team in Italy to a team in France, to a team in Russia. Well, Russia is a bad example now, but you, you know what I mean? And the that's players, true. the players are accustomed to that. So yes, it's stressful, um, it causes for some anxiety, but like th- they know going in that that's just how that works because the team that they joined last year had nine new guys on it and it was the same way yeah. the year before. So the answer is yes, but it's, but they're conditioned to it.
1: All right. Got it. All right. I'm going to give a, a, an example with baseball because that's, that's another sport that I follow with the Braves. So every year when there's a free agency or a free agent that's coming into a contract, we all love throwing out the numbers. Six years, $100 million, whatever it might be. Like, that's what we think the deal should be worth. Uh, we don't know anything, but that's what we say. What else goes into those contracts that we don't know about besides oh. just the length of time and the amount of compensation? Like, what? what else other terms are you looking at?
0: So l- let's just go back to just length and, you know, financial conditions, right? Let's just let's, – let's go back to the basics, right? So I just saw, um, you know, Bruno Fernando's contract down in Houston – was announced at four years ten and a half million. And I saw that and I was like, I know the the way the Rockets operate right now, they want maximum team flexibility. It's very annoying for agents, it's very annoying for players, but if I was running a team, I could understand that for team flexibility, right? Really what Bruno's contract is first year guaranteed, years two, three, and four totally non-guaranteed. Where really it's a four year contract that's only two million guaranteed with eight and a half million that you know might Uh, be earned if he stays on it the entire time. So that's right out of the gate. You need to um, uh, differentiate between fully guaranteed contracts, partially guaranteed contracts, and non-guaranteed contracts, right? So those are three just gradations of NBA contracts right there. In addition to that, to answer your question more directly, it's like you can add bonuses in, um, you know, you can add trade kickers in there if you want, um, things like that. But for the most part, to keep this conversation – Relatively simple. What you really want sure. to nail down is how many years are fully guaranteed, um, and you know what is the percentage of those years over the term of the contract. In Bruno's case, it was only twenty five percent of his contract. So when you see ten and a half million dollars, that's an inflated number. It's really two two and a half million guaranteed. With the rest, he's really got to uh, earn with that team.
1: That makes sense. So I do personal injury work. And so my job is coming up with settlement amounts for cases and we don't pull those numbers out of thin air. We use all sorts of data of past cases. And, you know, we just, we just kind of have a general sense of a value. Um, And the other side knows that too. I mean, the insurance companies, the defendants, they're doing the same thing. So there's not a wild variation oftentimes in some of these cases, or do you find that the same in kind of your negotiations that while there's differing opinions, Everybody's kind of in a similar league, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I would say for the most part, that's right. But one thing that's a little bit different here to go back to like your European draft question, there are some leagues. And let me just use uh, like an example, like there are leagues in the Philippines and there are leagues in Taiwan and Korea that'll pay certain kinds of players that have really specific attributes a lot more money than they'll make in spain or france or argentina or wherever so because there are like imagine you are barred not just in all 50 u.s states somehow but you're also barred in like 80 countries around the world and some are we back yeah, I got you. You're good. Good. Um, uh, I just imagine that you are also barred in front of uh, you know another country where juries just there are runaway juries all over the place. Where you tell your client John Smith, if we try this case in Atlanta, it's probably a fifty thousand dollars case, but. If we tried this case in Seoul, South Korea, this could be a $300,000 case. So, like, that's one difference where 90% of the time across 90% of, you know, countries, there is generally a window that management and employee can kind of, you know, negotiate and haggle out and, and meet in the middle somewhere. But there are a couple of wild cards out there that for specific kinds of players um, can really go above and beyond other countries.
1: So so you can add value by, by no recognizing question. that and saying, I know the Philippines or I know here, like, this is where you're going to maximize. Absolutely. We that's, that's a big part of my um, that's a big
0: part that, of my that's, that's, job.
1: And, and then is it you, you make these proposals to your clients, and then they have to decide if they want to go Absolutely. move to South Korea or if they want to try to stay uh, in my, the States? My
0: whole job is not to make decisions for people by any stretch. I can you know give folks very strong professional advice. At the end of the day, what I do is I get all of the options on the table for these clients, option A, option B, option C. Here are the pros of option A. Here are the cons of option A. Here are the pros of option B. Here are the cons of option B. And allow these guys and their families to make good, informed decisions with all of the data in front of them. With, you know, invariably they'll ask for my advice and I'll give it to them. But um, at the end of the day, it's their decision, it's their career. Um, these are their choices. And I just try my best to give them good, honest, comprehensive data so they can feel good about the decision they're making.
1: I love hearing you say that because. Um... I'm going to stick with the Braids <laughs> again. So the Freddie Freeman negotiations, oh, you followed that all last heard
0: year? It. I heard it was not good.
1: Not good. And and he ended right. up firing his agent. And now his Doug Gottlieb right. in the media That's sent a tweet out that he was fired because this agent did not relay right. an offer to the Braves. Now Mages there's like a Freddy.
0: defamation claim going on with all that. It's wild, yeah.
1: It's wild. Can, can, I mean – I have a hard time thinking that that is actually something that an agent would do. Would 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 not pass along an offer to their client? Um, I, am I, I wrong? So I, I mean, I, is, is I, that I, is that?
0: It's a question I don't get from every prospective client in his family, but I get it from some. And the answer is, as an you know, I'm still barred in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And under Pennsylvania fiduciary law, like I I would be um, like committing breach. You know, I would be committing um kind of agent malpractice if i got some offer even if it was for a hundred dollars a month to play in timbuktu or antarctica or wherever i have to pick the phone up and call because they say i i love the snow i love polar bears i can't wait to play for a hundred dollars in antarctica okay that would very that would surprise me very much but I, I can't speak on the Freddie Freeman thing. I don't know what went on there. I can just say in my practice, if there is a concrete, legitimate offer on the table, my client is getting called that day and we're going to go over it. We're going to talk about it. Have to.
1: Have to. have to, right? I mean, it seems so It seems so basic to me. Who knows what happened? Freddie wanted to stay in Atlanta. He didn't, whatever. But my second part of that question is that same agency now also represents Dansby Swanson, yeah. who's our shortstop in Atlanta. He's also up for free agency. Are, are 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 the professionals in the room big enough where they can still, even though they had a bad encounter the last time, they can put that aside and say, you know, hey, we're the Braves. We're here at the same agency. Let's still work together. Or is it, you know, hey, we got – this was tough. We don't know we can work the,
0: together. I mean, I don't know baseball players and their agents like I do with NBA players and, and European basketball players. I can only imagine Freddie Freeman – you know, was with one of the larger agencies, right? So my guess is that it's whatever, you know, Wasserman or Excel or whoever have like a 100 Major League Baseball players that they represent. So the answer is they're going to have to get over it at a certain point because it's not like – 99 other clients are going to fire this agency. So the answer is the first 15 or 20 minutes of this meeting and the negotiations might be a little bit prickly, but everyone's going to have to put on their big boy pants and big girl pants because the reality is those two sides are going to see each other again and again. And that's just the reality of it.
1: Just have to. Yeah. The other thing that that we as fans love to talk about is that, hey, they're making so much money. This is crazy money. They should give a hometown discount to stay. They should take less. So there's more to spread around, especially in a salary cap league like the NBA. Um, Don't they want to have more for the other players? Have you found that's a thing?
0: Sure, it's a thing. Players can come under market value if they want. Oh, my kids are here and they love the school and whatever else. You know, that's fine. My general recommendation to guys, and I was going to say gals, but I don't represent uh, female players, and for the most part they agree with is this is a finite, like, profession. Right. It's not like you are sitting and sitting in front of a computer screen and just counting ones and zeros all day. You have four, six, eight in a great career, 10 years to do this. It really behooves you and your children and your children's children um, to really make as much money as possible, because there is very good money in this business. Um, but it's a finite period of time. Your window for cashing in, quote unquote, is generally pretty small. So the answer is yes, you can absolutely take a hometown discount. And in certain ways that, you know, I'm trying to think, like this this wasn't a hometown discount, but like I just saw that, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Tyler Harrow down on the heat, you know, he signed a big extension down there for one hundred and twenty million dollars. and it's funny to think that that is some discount. But' right, that's, that's a this discount. discount, obviously. but the answer is, you know, he wanted that guaranteed money. He didn't want the anxiety. Um, You know, he's coming off a little bit of a weird year last year. He didn't start for them in the playoffs and he still banked 120 million. Now, could he have rolled the dice and made 160 next summer? Yes. But ultimately, he decided um, that that was good and that Miami was a good fit for him and he opted to take it. And that's how extensions work. You're not going to get the max early on an extension, right? I I mean, not Tyler Harrow. There, are, there are you know John Morant's going to get the max, but certain guys recognize that hey, for the best of me, for the best of this fit, for the best of my career, that this makes sense to leave a little bit on the table for for you know other considerations. So it does happen uh, in the NBA as well.
1: So you mentioned the max uh, max contracts; so those are slated. Yeah, right? it's, like, it's, it's, it's percentage it's of the, the overall
0: salary cap. Yeah.
1: Right. And then the NBA has got like a super max too, or something, right? For like for the elite yeah. of elite or something. And there's like the Larry Bird exception, well, like well, there's all sorts of stuff that I hear. Yeah, but we we're we're started like,
0: to couple some things that need to be uncoupled here, but yes, the NBA salary cap is a very complicated uh, document. Like the bird exception just very generally is a way to re-sign your own players. Um, even though you've gone over the cap. And again, like I've oversimplified it 10 times over. Um, yeah, 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 and I'm not and asking. The, it, yeah, but, but the, all that. the answer is there are numerous mechanisms, numerous exceptions in the NBA um, salary cap or in the um, collective bargaining agreement that allows um, teams to get very creative um, to build rosters. That being said, you know who just won the championship last year, right? The Golden State Warriors. Do you know what they paid in, in luxury tax money last year? I guess sixty million dollars. You know what the Charlotte Hornets paid in luxury yeah. tax money? in their entire I, in their entire 30 year existence 0 Less than that. 0 dollars Zero. Zero. <laughs> they have never paid one yeah. free tax money and the warriors just paid a, a third of a billion dollars just last year so all i'm saying is like different strokes for different folks and like i i have to remind executives of that not infrequently when i'm negotiating on behalf of my client it's like sometimes you have to pay for what you want right like you can't okay. go to the mercedes lot you know, with 20s in your pocket. Right. So in that way, again, there are creative ways to do it where you can stay under the tax. It's a you know term that's thrown around out there. But frequently um, for teams to have super duper stars um, on the team that they then keep year after year, you're going to end up in the luxury tax area and you're going to your owner ownership is going to pay.
1: Now, um, analytics is playing a bigger and bigger role in professional sports and how front offices are arriving at, you know, what players got value and why and what numbers. I mean, so my my two questions for you, number one is, you know, what kind of role do you play in trying to figure out those analytics as well for your clients? And my my question that was, I guess I asked very poorly, was all these specific rules and regulations about the NBA, like you've got to bone up on that too. You've got to understand how all those – contracts are written so that you can use them to your client's advantage. That's a whole other side no of the question. job.
0: So uh, the first part of your question about analytics, <laughs> when I talk to the um, GMs and assistant GMs, I know the reality is these NBA teams make so much money. They have so many people on staff. They have 15 people probably crunching these numbers about – you know, whatever, true shooting. Like, you know, there are so many different ways to aggregate data and sort data and figure out, you know, who your attractive free agent guys are um, over the course of an 82-game NBA season at this point. That the reality is, agents have to know that stuff inside and out. I have to be prepared with that information. <laughs> but the reality is, these teams already know who they want and why they want them, right? The joke that I hear all the time is, you know, an agent will send out this 15-page long... Um, you know, kind of presentation about why their client is the best at this and the second best at that and the third best at this, and you add it all up and it should be worth this much of a contract. And like teams don't even open them. Teams have said, we already we've already <laughs> won all of this on our end. And the reason why we're talking is we know we like your guy, right? We want to pay him nothing. You want more than nothing, and now we gotta haggle out in the middle. There's no like not no. I shouldn't discount it that much. Agents have a very hard job In my opinion, sending some deck, sending some data driven report proposal to an NBA team where they say, you know, I never thought of it that way. Oh, that's totally new information. This totally changes our negotiation. Um, That that is a very few and far between uh, example in terms of how these negotiations go. No, that
1: makes sense. So when you when, when you get a call from insert name of GM with insert team, they're targeting one of your clients. You know that that means they've got interest, right? And so then that's a, a good starting point for you, I imagine. Oh, I,
0: absolutely. And, you know, generally I will have already reached out to them and some get back to me and others don't, and that's okay. But I always try to touch all 30 NBA teams when I'm just, you know, getting guys' names out there and all that. Um, and then, you know, then you just have to think about, like, I, I think – but I'm you know what I've learned as I've gotten more and more entrenched kind of in in the NBA and like how NBA rosters are constructed like there are I mean across all 30 teams I mean teams who are rebuilding may not, may not have this right now but if you look at pretty much any playoff team the way they're constructed is at this point probably three stars like all-star caliber players and then you know two other to three other either former all-stars or like very, very good, very, very productive starters. And then half of the team, seven or eight of their guys in the team are just incredibly um, specific role players that do something or two things incredibly, incredibly well. So when GMs call me and assistant GMs call me, the first thing that I start thinking about is, all right, you're calling me about my client, John Smith. Who? What position does John Smith play for? What is what is his skill set? What are his positive attributes? What does his value add to an NBA court? And how many other guys like him already exist on this team? Because the reality is, unfortunately, I don't have Zion. I don't have Zach Levine, right, where teams are constructed around them. I need to think about what is the best, straightest path for my client towards NBA minutes and an NBA opportunity, a real meaningful NBA opportunity. And if there are four whatever power forwards in front of my power forward, even though this GM is calling me, that might not be the most like congruent best fit for my client. So I'm, I'm always thinking about when GMs are calling me, the first thing I'm thinking about is positional fit for my client.
1: Makes sense. So do you go to a lot of the games of your clients yeah. and watch them? I mean, I'm thinking you forget this all the time. I'm sure I'm, I'm picturing yeah. Jerry Maguire at the Arizona Cardinals game, watching watching his guy i mean is that something that y'all do too a lot
0: of games i go to a lot of college games i go to a lot of pro games but it's you know it's my life it's it's my passion and and that way i'm fortunate to do it but yes i i I go to a lot of games and i watch a lot of games yes do you travel a lot covid obviously slowed that down it slowed it down with everybody but yes between recruiting um and seeing current clients i do travel a lot yep
1: so are there um like winter meetings where all the gms are there all the agents are there um to try to get a lot of bulk work done at the same time I mean, you, you read sometimes like all right they're all in florida they're all in california is that well that's something it's hard
0: during the year because obviously all the teams are flying all around right so there are two different events that bring a lot of people um together during the course of the nba season um and that is obviously and for i have to include the g league in this one is the g league showcase out in vegas right around Christmas um you know pretty much every team is out there for that scouting the kind of the best G League players that are, are ready to make that jump and then obviously All-Star Weekend and All-Star Weekend is fun because everyone's out there um but it's also like there's a fair amount of pageantry and it feels a little bit like less formal than uh perhaps other uh kind of get togethers but both of those events a lot of teams are at and you've kind of got to get out there and shake some hands and so on and so forth but really like in our line of work the big kind of Super Bowl um event that everybody is at that you absolutely have to go to every year is summer league out in vegas um the first the second and third weeks in uh july um that's where everybody is and that's when a lot of these free agent deals are getting done um you know that's after the draft and you know teams are kind of solidifying their rosters and whatever else so during the season you got to get to all-star you got to get to the League showcase but really the main kind of event where everybody's at every year is is vegas out in mid-july
1: so what what is a day like yeah. out there? I mean, is it early morning, just banging all day long, make you know, making yeah, I mean, connections? It's, it's
0: seeing people deals. and sitting in the stands next to people and doing the lap of the Thomas and Mac Center with people that you call and text and email all year and you finally get to like shake the hand up and reconnect with and slap on the back and And really catch up about what they're doing and how your client might be able to fit in with that and other gossip and buzz that they're hearing about certain players and coaches and where they might be going and so on and so forth. Like, you know, imagine you're in the AirPod business, right? It's like the AirPod convention, right? In terms of all of the retailers and all the manufacturers and all the distributors being in the same place at the same time. So it's just, you know, all of that kind of, you know, insider's. Um uh, angles on on uh, you know all the thirty teams and the twenty eight G League teams. So it's 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 for me. I'm like a pig in slop. I, it's a wonderful wonderful place to be out there. And I you know I I don't like Vegas. I don't I don't gamble. I don't I don't play cards. One hundred and fifteen degree heat is not really my thing. I look forward to Vegas every year because as I said, everyone's out there and it's just good to reconnect with everybody.
1: That, that, that's cool. So I want to wrap up in a little bit. I don't want to keep you too long, but my, my one thing I do want to talk about is when you see someone like, is it Lamar Jackson, oh, okay. um, the quarterback for the Ravens, who says, I want to just represent myself. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think about when you see these high-profile athletes and they can do that um, on
0: I don't know. Like, how many clients do you, let me turn it around to you, Josh. How many clients do you get that come into your office, that got into a car accident or were the victim of medical malpractice and – you talk to them and you go over, you know, the fee disclosure and, you know, everything else, all the other business aspects that you have to walk them through. And they look you in the eye and they say, you know what, I think I'm actually going to be better off representing myself in front of a judge and a jury. I say you're an idiot. So I try to be a little more gentle about it than that. But that's generally my take on it. It's like, <laughs> listen, like, I'm not like any smarter than you. I'm not better than you. I'm not this. I'm not that. I just have a lot of really relevant, focused experience experience trying to get done what you are trying to get done here you have spent the last 25 years of your life you know being this athletic apex predator and that you're now in the position that you're in let me do my thing you do your thing and together we will both win in terms of getting you to the highest level that you can get to and if they say no i choose to be an apex predator by myself i say like what are you what are you going to do you're going to handcuff yourself to this person and walk around everywhere they go i mean there's only so much you can do right but the answer is you know, my gentle personal advice, my gentle business advice, my gentle legal advice is: don't try the case uh, yourself in front of the judge and jury if you didn't go to law school.
1: You're much more <laughs> diplomatic about that than me. Um, Nil in, in and and in the, in the new stuff in college—you do you get involved I, in any I get of that at all?
0: About it all the time. I, you know, I, I don't just because to me it's like kind of a funny way to just kind of like launder money, essentially, from like you know boosters and donors down to the kids. I you know, it's not really my thing. Like I, you know, I, I think there are pros and cons. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, these kids generate so much money that it's fine, but it's like, why jump through all these hoops? Why have all this red tape? Like if this young man or young woman, um, is worth a million dollars to the school in terms of whatever ticket sales and apparel sales and streaming sales and whatever else, like just pay it to them. Like why do you have to dress it up in this weird thing where, oh, you tag Chipotle in two Instagram posts a month and we'll pay you $90,000 for it? Like, that's silly. It's preposterous. Like, that doesn't make Chipotle $90,000. Like, what's the point of all this? So the answer is I don't. I think it's going to – I think NIL was a kind of a, a clunky if but good-hearted effort to get to what I'm talking about, which is just a free market – um economy for these players, maybe with a salary cap, maybe not. Again, that's not my thing. I don't like advocate for that, but like that's where this is going. I think the NCAA is probably going to be gone after the next NCAA TV deal in 27, 28, I forget. Um and I think all these, you know, conferences, I think they're all just going to go in it alone. Um and it'll just be kind of, as I said, free market um stuff. So again, not something I stand on a stump and talk about how great it is, but I think that's the, that's going to be where this is in five years.
1: I think you're right. I think the NCAA played this terribly wrong over the years, and it's out of control. That's a wild, wild west, yeah, I mean, frankly. It but it we'll is. see what happens. That
0: way, it's like it's not surprising, right? It's like these kids and these programs are so valuable. There's money flowing everywhere. Like who who should be paid, right? Like and, like who who's generating this money? It's the kids. So just pay them, right? It's, it's like this isn't that complicated. Dang. So to me, it's it's kind of yeah, silly, and the NIL stuff wild. is like a silly like work around for that but yeah I, I, to answer your question I, you asked me what time it is I told you the to clockwork the answer is I don't get involved in it because it's not my area of expertise and I think honestly it's going to go away in two or three years and these kids will just get paid what they're worth coming out of high school probably right well Duncan I
1: appreciate this man I threw a lot of questions at you you answered all of them um, you're probably gonna get a resume from me uh coming across your desk in a little while i want to come follow <laughs> my dream and, and come work for a real life sports agent like you um i'm following you guys now so t- tell everybody where they can find you i know that y'all are on social and got some instagram stuff going on no, I, so I, josh i really get, get appreciate you warm- having
0: me on thank you so much um uh as i said i've been looking forward to it um my name is duncan lloyd i'm an MBA and FIBA certified basketball agent um Bard in pennsylvania new jersey um our agency is overtime international sports uh website Sports.com. uh instagram handle oti underscore sports and twitter is over at overtime uh, agent come check us out um anytime you have any basketball related questions um be it college or the pro-life uh give me a call text email and i'll get right back to you but uh, josh as i said i really appreciate right. you having me on it's been fun Thanks, man. You know, it's cool now because my podcast name, Sports and
1: Torts, everybody just assumes that means it's all about sports law. Now I can say that, yeah, we've talked some sports is. law. So I appreciate you now making this podcast more bona fide by Josh, its name. I,
0: I appreciate it. Let's be in touch.
1: Take all right, man. Thanks so much. Hey, guys, thanks all so much for listening. Uh, you know, they always say like, comment, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, hope you are listening. And until next time, keep chopping.